What's going on everybody? This is Malik Prince from Team Xbox and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 88 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, June 27th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by Danny Pena of Gamertag Radio to reflect on this year's Xbox E3 conference while comparing it to years past. In addition to Danny stepping into the host role, we'll later speak to Piotr Bomak of XOR Studios to discuss their upcoming game, the Riftbreaker. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to our guest, Mr. Danny Pena of Gamertag Radio, a man who has been working hard to bring the coverage to multiple outlets this past summer for E3 and beyond. Danny Pena, thank you for joining me today. I know, thank you for, for the invite. I know you interviewed my partner a while back. Uh, she was on yeah and uh I, I heard a lot of great things about the interview too so <laughs> oh man no, yeah it was really good really really good that warms my heart man rihanna manuel one of the uh most wonderful people i've had the pleasure of, of chatting with seeing her work out in what's good games and now g4 uh, a lot of work to to bring about equality in the gaming industry for for multiple uh from from multiple perspectives is a joy but uh you yourself do quite a bit of that as well. I mean, we see you frequenting uh, Telemundo, a lot of Spanish-speaking outlets. I mean, your your podcast, Gamertag Radio, uh, is now award-winning and record-holding. Tell me a bit about Gamertag Radio. Yeah, so Gamertag Radio is a show I created over 16 years ago. And it's about everything. X- At first, it started about Xbox, but then... Uh, I think like after two or three years, I decided to do about uh, just a gaming in general. So PlayStation, Nintendo, PC, and so on. So so what we do is we have a lot of great roundtable discussions, debates, a lot of fan mail questions, and also interviews with people in the gaming industry. So, so yeah, we release two episodes every week, and now we have over... 1144 episodes now man so it's a lot a lot of a lot of episodes <laughs> goodness gracious content for quite literally years uh I- impressive to see there congratulations on uh an incredible run that is still ongoing uh of course yeah you're one of your co-hosts paris lily we saw him recently at the xbox game showcase extended which is incredible uh mm-hmm. moreover i'm seeing you doing a lot of things in the spanish-speaking coverage there uh mm-hmm. Tell me, what are you working on outside of Gamertag Radio to kind of further the awareness of the gaming industry? Yeah, I've been doing, I, I know you mentioned about Telemundo and stuff like that. Um, I've also been teaching uh, classes about podcasting mm-hmm. um, on with a Bright. So that's a brightlive.com. It's a Ashton Kutcher and a couple other people also from like the movie industry mm-hmm. and music industry. They're involved. 
So they invited me uh, to be part as a launch partner mm-hmm. to teach podcasts. So already, I've done already two classes. Uh, my third class is coming up July 20th. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It's a lot of podcasters that have questions about like how to record, how to get an audience, all that stuff. So, so yeah, it, it's really good. I've been having a blast. And also, I've been doing a lot of like speaking engagements uh, now virtually because slowly things are opening up. Mm-hmm. But previously, I used to go to a lot of like podcasting conferences, uh, podcast movement, pod, podfests, and a lot of like smaller ones across the country. Mm-hmm. And I also uh, did a speaking engagement, my first international one in Dominican Republic. And I did it uh, with a university called Intech. Mm-hmm. We launched a like a free workshop for developers in gaming and also content creators. And it was called a Game Developer Conference Santo Domingo. So we did it. I invited my friends at Unity to to do like a free workshop how to use their engine. And the, the place was completely packed. A lot of people had questions uh not only how to create games, but also how to become a content creator. So so that things like that I've been doing a lot lately, uh, like the past couple of years now. Absolutely. And, and clearly you have a talent for it. Uh, but do you enjoy being in the teaching role? Yeah, it's fun. It's actually a lot of fun. You know, uh, people know that I've been doing this for a very long time. So they ask me a lot of questions about about that stuff. And at the same time, it's like passing, passing the torch to the next generation of, of content creators, you know. So, yeah, I I'm, I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. I've I spoken at, like, at schools, high school, middle schools, university, colleges like that, you know, so. So you may not know this, but I I am a middle school teacher myself going on 10 years uh, plus now. So careful, Danny Pena, because you might get an invite uh, from me at some point. That is such a cool thing to be in a role where you get to help people learn a craft that can uh, help their hobby or help their profession. Uh, What what question do you think you're asked most in that role? Everybody will ask, how can I get money? Right away. And, and I always say, and I always tell people, look, it's not a quick thing. You know, some people might get lucky with that quickly, right? Mm-hmm. But I always tell people to focus on local, local gaming community, your community, or whatever content it is that you're planning to do. And and just, just have fun with it. And build your community. And once you have a good audience and you feel like, okay, I think it's the right time to maybe get advertisements, that's when you step it up. Because if you have zero listeners and you don't engage with anyone online and mm-hmm. you try to get an advertisement. Why a company is going to advertise on the show mm-hmm. if you don't have an audience? Because they want people to buy their products, you know, or sign up for whatever it is that they're trying to promote on your show. Certainly. So, yeah, I, I tell people to just just build your community. The last class that I had on Bright was that was all about engaging with the audience, how to how to get an audience. Because um, I think the key thing is you have to make it easier for people to find you. Mm-hmm. If it's difficult, people are gonna go to the next the next show to listen to, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just be everywhere. I think that's what it is, and be consistent with with um with uh, like releasing your your show content and stuff. So, well, certainly that's that you're able to draw on your experiences with Gamer Tag Radio, and we're gonna get to to gaming news. But while I've got you, I want to know uh, some of your favorite Gamer Tag Radio stories. Uh, but, bef- but before we do that, you have to tell me, and I've heard you say this story so many times, Danny. I just have to hear it again if you'll indulge me. Tell yeah. me the Bonnie Ross story. I think it's hilarious. I was in the chat with Miles when you were on Chatterdays. Oh. <laughs> I yeah. just love this story. 
Yeah, so we were at E3, and this is when there was sh- uh, Xbox was showing Master Chief Collection. Mm-hmm. It was coming out. And actually, minutes before, this is a story that I didn't even mention on the Miles show. So before we went inside, we were, uh, Paris and I, we were outside just waiting to go in. And while we were waiting, Aisha Tyler pops up, and she's there with, like, her, with her team. And I'm like, oh, man, Aisha, you know, she just hosted Ubisoft conference, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm there, you know, she's right next to me. I'm talking to Paris, you know, and I'm like, yo, Paris, Aisha's right next to me. Oh, man, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. While, all right, so then we're waiting. The door opened for, for us to go into the Halo Master Chief presentation, mm-hmm. the collection. So when they open the door, Steven Spielberg comes out. Oh, whoa. Yeah. So he's like, he's like right in front of me. And I'm like in the middle looking at Paris. Paris is like across from me, right? Uh-huh. And, and and Aisha Tyler and him just talking, like saying hi. And I'm just there like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, what in the world? Like, you know, so so that's one of the stories from the Bonnie and Ross. So then they were talking about like the the Halo series that was coming out on Showtime years ago. And he needed to do more work. Steven Spielberg, right? So then it was time for us to go inside to see the Halo Master Chief Collection presentation. So we go inside. Great presentation. Bonnie Ross was talking to all of us. So then the presentation was done, and that was the last day of E3. So usually we record a lot of content during that week. So mm-hmm. my voice is, like, completely, like, done. My voice is done. Like, I have to take a break for, like, a week or two just to relax after E3 because of it. So um, I mentioned to Paris, hey, is it cool that I should, like, we should record an interview with Bonnie? He's like, yeah, do it. Go for it. So I asked the team, hey, can I interview Bonnie Ross? And they're like, yeah, yeah. So she came. She came over. It's just that easy, and, huh? It was just yeah, that easy? Super easy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So so she comes to, to us. And while she's walking, like, for some reason, my voice, like, it wasn't, like, I couldn't say anything. Like, it was, I was struggling just to talk. And I had my recorder and mic ready to record. So I was like, yo, Paris, please, you have to record. Go here. I-, I can't do it. My voice is messed up. And Paris wasn't prepared, so he got he got stuck. He's like, oh, my God. So Bonnie mm-hmm. comes to, to, to me. They're like, all right, let's do the interview. And I'm like, oh, my God. So Paris started recording it. That interview maybe lasted like two or three minutes because Paris was nervous. He didn't know what mm-hmm. to say. It, it was like super random. Uh, so that's that. So the interview came out. A year later, we go to an event. And we're hanging out with Michael Pactor, Kiki Wilkill, and uh, and also Bonnie. Uh, at, uh, you, say, at, you say hanging out. You're just hanging yeah. out with these people. These are legends in Xbox. That's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were just hanging out. It was like an, an event. It was like mm-hmm. an Xbox event. And we were just talking, chatting. And uh, and we started, we brought up that conversation. Actually, Paris was the one that brought it up. And he was pointing at me like, yo, this guy... I don't know where it did that. You know, Bonnie, I had to record you. I was nervous, this and this and that. And Bonnie started laughing. And then she said at the end, you wouldn't be surprised. I probably was nervous too. Because usually higher ups like that, and just people in general we interview, they they want to be careful on the things they say during an mm-hmm. interview, you know. So ever since that day, Paris was like, yo, like, we're humans, man. They're humans too. We just got to have great conversations and, and just be ourselves, you know. So ever since then, we even gotten even better throughout the years with uh, just recording interviews in person or virtually. And uh, yeah, that's the Bonnie Ross story. But 
it helped Paris to be become a better interviewer because of it, you know? So mm-hmm. he always brings that up everywhere he goes. The Bonnie Ross story. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like further along from that, I mean, you're both doing big things now. I mean, however many years later, it's 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 uh, mm-hmm. it's paying off, man. The hard work, the good stories, the fun vibes. That's awesome. Any yeah. other standout stories uh, f- from GTA, GTR? GTR. Uh, mm, there's, there's so many that I can't. Well, we had, you know, Reggie on the show. I interviewed him this mm-hmm. past year in February for our 16th anniversary. Last year. We had Phil Spencer on our show for our 1,000 episode. Right. That was interesting. That was a very cool, cool. This is pre-pandemic. You know, he just got back from Japan. So we were talking about that and everything was awesome. Must, must listen. It's an awesome, awesome conversation. And, yeah. and yeah, we had Peter Moore. We had like a lot of people on our show. Uh, we travel around the world and we've done content over there too. In other places like Paris, uh, UK, stuff like that. But the, the best one for me was when i started before gtr when i went to the xbox launch the original xbox launch and because i i get invited uh, microsoft invited me to go times square in new york city when i used to live over there and they wanted me to play fusion frenzy with bill gates and that was a very interesting <laughs> thing that happened out of nowhere and they wanted me to talk about about the console because i got xbox the original console early back in 2001 so yeah i've been now creating content for 20 years man i have like so many stories i just gotta like sit down and remember because there's so many things that happened throughout the years you know but that, that's awesome it's insane. yeah you, you simultaneously you need a memoir but by the same token it's all been recorded like you've got all this content for for however many years 20 years of, of coverage of you talking about your experiences in gaming and otherwise i mean it's all there you just got we just got to find a way to, to get it edited down for a for a memoir man yeah, I mean, I did a documentary a couple of years ago. I think like two or three years ago. It's called did you really? Gamer- yeah, yeah. It's called Gamer Tag Radio Podcast Story. Um, I had it actually. I recorded this for our community at first, right? And everyone was like, "Danny, you need to like submit this to film festivals." Like, this is actually really good, man. I'm like, really? He's like, "Yo, you should do it." So I submitted it to a bunch of film festivals, and I got awards. I, I attended multiple film festivals because of it too the the one the biggest one in new york is called uh, the dominican film festival mm-hmm. that one they they usually do it at uh at washington heights mm-hmm. that's where they did the premiere for the in the heights movie that just recently came out uh it's called the united, united palace mm-hmm. so yeah it was cool i took my mom to the red carpet my sister family yeah it was it was like amazing amazing movie so check it out it's free uh, Gamer Tag Radio podcast story. I have it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, story.gamertagradio.com. It's like 61 minutes and explain like how GTR got created, how I met Paris, how I met Pete, all that stuff, man. So it's good. Really, really good. Highly recommend it. That, so that is that was in the coolest way news to me. And now I've got it bookmarked and, and we're going to be checking this out later on. That's that's very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you mentioned GTR traveling all around the world, doing coverage all over the place. You you mentioned talking to Phil Spencer after he left Japan. Xbox mm-hmm. in Japan is one of our topics for this episode, mm-hmm. uh, and it is it is ripe for conversation. Uh, Xbox had uh, an interview. Let me rephrase this. Let me just rephrase that altogether. Uh, the bo- Xbox business boss in Asia, Jeremy Hinton, was recently on an interview that IGN Japan took on, 
And he talked about the massive growth that Xbox is seeing over in Japan. And my eyebrows raised at that because mm -hmm. that is not a, a typical story that you hear. It has been uh, pretty standard that Xbox struggles in Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. Sony and Nintendo seem to have a vice lock uh, on that market. And uh, historically, the American company Microsoft has struggled to find a comfortable foothold uh, in Asian markets, not specifically and only Japan, uh, but Japan, of course, uh, certainly there. But now Hinton is going on to say they're observing a very high percentage of Xbox consoles uh, being sold in Japan to people who have never owned an Xbox before. I can speculate as to why that's happening, Danny. Um, but if you'd like, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, going into why they're seeing such growth in an Asian market and specifically a Japanese market. What do you think? Yeah, that is a great, great thing because, you know, when we had Phil Spencer on our show, we brought that up, you know, like, because they, you know, Xbox, especially him, he don't, he don't want to give up on getting uh, the consoles over there and getting more developers to create games for it. So, you know, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think is, um, Xbox Series S is a very sexy console. I, I love the design. It's a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. And I think um, in Japan, they just love, they, they, they like more stuff uh, smaller, like um, consoles, mobile, Nintendo Switch is a big, big, uh, very, very big console within Japan. So mm -hmm. I think that's one. Number two, Xbox Game Pass helps out a lot because now you're subscribing to to the service, you get all these games, and they've been adding a lot of Japanese content there too. So, Yakuza series is there. Just recently, Like a Dragon, which is a must must play uh, game that came out last year, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that I think that personally is the reason why is is increasing. Plus, the marketing has been different. I think over there in Japan, mm -hmm. and uh, another thing too is S Cloud. Okay. I think. Last year, Phil Spencer did a video, or was it earlier this year? He did a video just ex uh, mentioning that Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate S Cloud is going to be launching over there in Japan. And uh, one of the things he brought up in our on our conversation that he went to Japan to show, present Game Pass, and to sh to have a lot of meetings with developers in Japan because uh, they want to get those type of content for not only in japan but also here in the states mm -hmm. you know so like recently scarlet nexus came out i know there's a, a marketing deal with xbox so they've been pushing that a lot you know things like that so if you think about it the xbox 360 there was a lot of jr rpgs during that time mm -hmm. the xbox one days that generation was kind of lacking big time with japanese content you will get some here and there but the thing that brought up on not only in our show but in other shows is when they're if you're a fan of jrpg right and xbox is getting more content available for us for this platform i think it's important as a as a fan of jrpgs support it as much as you can even if it's supporting it through xbox game pass or just buying it because now the engagement is increasing more companies now like okay it's worth making these games for the console but if, if everybody's just ignoring it and not really supporting it, then it's gonna it's gonna be bad for us. We're not gonna get content like that in the future because of it, you know. So we gotta support it as much as we can, I think, you know. 
Certainly so. And, and a lot to break down in the points that you made. Uh, mm-hmm. I think back to that Xbox 360 era where they had games like Blue Dragon and a number of other uh, Japanese-focused games, JRPGs, etc. And mm-hmm. that was lacking in the Xbox One generation. And the 360, for all of its uh, incredible accomplishments, I mean, it rivaled the PlayStation, which was a difficult thing to do in its time coming off the PlayStation 2. Um, the Xbox One didn't see any of that success. The initiatives didn't seem mm-hmm. there. There was a very distracted level of uh, marketing and intention with with Connect kind of ending and beginning the 360 to Xbox One era. Um, fast forward to now, and, and uh, Jeremy Hinton saying they're selling out stock within minutes. And to your point, that Series S console, it's sleek, uh, it's comfortable, it's attractive looking. I mm-hmm. still can't find one. I have a Series X, that, uh, fortunately, but I do not have an S. Uh, I'd like to have one for downstairs, and it's just tough to find if it's selling out here and there. There's a lot to be uh, excited about. And to your point as well about xCloud, there's a lot of potential in xCloud, particularly in markets where the internet infrastructure is just that much more superior. I'm thinking about Japan. I'm thinking about South Korea, uh, Mm -hmm. portions of India where there there are massive potential uh, for adoption there. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's impressive. And to that point, Danny, we had a, a listener whose name I can't pronounce uh, especially well, Atoriaste Gaming. Uh, He wanted to know if there was a focus on cloud gaming and streaming as as a way into new markets, but whether or not it was time for a handheld device because of the adoption of people checking out Game Pass. I don't know that I was on board with the handheld device given... uh, I think we have a mutual affinity for the Razer Kishi and some of the the elements of xCloud there, but handheld mm-hmm. device, reality, possibility, worth it? No, nah, I don't think... Uh, I, I think Xbox shouldn't even waste their time with creating a handheld. Um, now, with xCloud, they could do this anywhere, any device, mobile, tablet, TV, uh, even the Xbox One console. You could stream mm-hmm. games from there. If, let's say, you want to play Starfield, like... There's people that can't afford to get the ne- the next-gen consoles, right? right? But if they have the original Xbox One, they could stream through xCloud and play mm-hmm. those games too. So there's different ways to play it. So for me, especially last year, I, I played a lot of xCloud. I will go to Central Park in New York, mm-hmm. and I'll have my Kishi, Razor Kishi, and just play M- Minecraft Dungeons, uh, Gears, stuff like that, Halo. Mm-hmm. And I'll play it smooth, 4G, 5G. Sometimes I'll I'll travel pre-pandemic. I'll go to like let's say to Orlando or other places, and I'm at the airport for like a good two hours, and I'm there mm-hmm. waiting for my flight. I'm playing Gears of War. I'm playing Halo. I'm talking to my friends online. Mm-hmm. Doing you know, it's like I'm I enjoy that. You know, back in the early days, X there was rumors that Xbox was planning to create a handheld back then, but that that never went through. It was mm-hmm. called uh, they were calling it X Boy. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So what happened, I had Robbie Bach a couple of years ago on our show uh, to talk about that. And I asked him and he said, yeah, that was real. They they were planning to do that, but it never went through. So originally it was a rumor and yeah, it was official, you know, so X-Boy. So S-Cloud to me is X-Boy for Xbox. That's how I see it, you know. Mm-hmm. So they don't need to waste money on manufacturing those uh, device handheld device because mm-hmm. i could do that on my phone i could do that on any device you know so i think that to me is more important and at the same time i have to mention that having s cloud available worldwide is going to help 
especially low-income families that can't afford to buy a console, but they have their Android device, and they could just play and be part of our community, you know, and, and play all these games online by just them being part of the service, you know. And it's cheaper, way cheaper than buying like a 499 console, 299 console, you know. Right, right. And um, I'm so appreciative that you mentioned the the low-income families that might just want access to gaming because, I mean, as an ed- educator, I see that often. The Their portable devices, even if they're a bit outdated, are windows into the future. And mm-hmm. when you have xCloud that can run comfortably on an older iPhone, an older Android device, when you're bringing xCloud to Xbox Ones, which is they, they've stated a very clear intent to do, mm-hmm. uh, those Xbox Ones are going to have their lifetime extended and you're still being able to play modern games, uh, but not needing to buy new hardware. It'll be a lot cheaper to pick up an Xbox One in two years than it would be a Series S or X. Uh, mm-hmm. And that... That brings up something that uh, Remy Ismael said a few weeks ago on XCP was that uh, when more people from more diverse backgrounds, more places around the world, uh, income level, racial diversity, gender diversity, persuasion, etc., when they get their act, their hands on games, and now by way of xCloud, that means th- more people are likely to enter into the industry of developing and creating games, which would then bring about even better, cooler, more interesting games that we have not gotten a chance to see because the demographics creating games aren't as diverse as they otherwise could be. So this technology has far-reaching implications beyond just you and I getting to, to jump on a, a few matches and gears with our buddies, popping mm-hmm. our headphones and our attach our controller. It, it goes well beyond that to the future, passing the torch to new developer rings as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, that's... One of the reasons why I did that event in Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo, mm-hmm. uh, because a couple of years before I went over there, I was you know talking to my friends and I'm like, look, I want you to show me the community. I want to see how it is now because I haven't been there so long. And uh, when I met the gaming community from like the developing side and just mm-hmm. gamers in general, they will always would say they feel left out. They feel like companies don't don't do anything over there. Um, one is because it's a smaller, a smaller country compared to like a country like Mexico, Brazil. Mm-hmm. You know, those are there's a lot more people over there that will actually will spend money on on consoles. You know, so I decided like I'm gonna get you know my friends from the gaming industry and let's do a workshop. Let's have events once a year or something like that. You know, for because when I went to the event. And I got to meet a lot of developers that were showing me their games. And I'm like, oh, my God, these games could be on Steam, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. I wish people would see that, but they just don't have that support. So I think by by me doing this, it's going to open the door slowly on other developers that will create cool and unique gaming experience like the one the ones that you were saying, you know. And uh, I, want to, I would like to see that, you know, as much as I can, I'm, I'm going to help out and, and bring more people from the industry to inspire them. And so at the end, I don't want them to feel left out. I want them to feel that they're also part of our community. Certainly so. Certainly so. And it, it, it bears mentioning that just in, in passive research on this topic and the next one, which is is just Xbox's cloud gaming division, mm-hmm. um, it's mentioned in multiple articles that Microsoft has a relationship with a uh, company called GameHez, which is a technology training program to prep low-income youth, youth of color from ages 15 to 24 to get jobs in the industry. 
And I, I know that Microsoft also has initiatives for Blacks in Gaming, Latin X in Gaming. Um, I love hearing this, and we're celebrating the, I suppose, the Xbox aspect of it just by way of my research. But I'm mm-hmm. hopeful that that's happening more and more, well beyond just Microsoft. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I want to see that from for every single company. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like as of right now, I'm not seeing that from Nintendo. I'm not really seeing that from from PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I'm just saying from just experience, maybe they are, unless somebody please tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm seeing this now more with Xbox, with other companies too in the game industry. So hopefully we get to see everybody involved and, and doing more, more of these things, you know, so just to give back and, and let's make some change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And listeners, uh, anybody that does know of these programs that we may not be aware of, please write in, let us know, tweet at us. Uh, it's important that we get to spread the love regardless of console base. And that's that's an important factor there. Um, but Danny, I mentioned research for the Xbox Cloud Gaming Division. The name Kim Swift comes up consistently of late. Uh, mm-hmm. Kim Swift joining from Google Stadia. She was a, a game de- game design director over at Google Stadia. She is now going to be taking over the Xbox Cloud Gaming team. As a senior director, um, I was unaware of who Miss Swift was at first, uh, but in reading about uh, her arrival to this cloud gaming division, it was very clear to me that uh, Microsoft is doubling down on xCloud technology, which I mean, it was already clear before, but having cloud native games is a possibility. They don't know what that looks like. It looks like they're exploring that technology, uh, which is a lot to be excited about. And then Jeff Grubb did what Jeff does. You know, he went out there, he did some investigative rumor reporting, uh, and VentureBeat is saying that uh, Swift's projects are somehow intertwining with Hideo Kojima's projects. And I'm not sure if you know who this Hideo Kojima fellow is. Uh, hmm. he, he has been the bane of the abandoned team's <laughs> uh, poorly, poorly shown marketing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole as I feel bad for that team. Uh, making abandoned but kim swift xbox game uh cloud gaming division that's pretty cool right oh yeah that's really really cool and and here's the thing that this is the the conversation i was having with miles and also talked to, to my crew about this from gtr that i see the potential of of companies developers especially creating games that will also use that technology of s cloud and by a flip of the switch of a button right there, they could easily change the gaming experience, adding new enemies, the environment might change. Everything will change because of xCloud. So, for example, if you play like a game like Flight Simulator, which is coming out for the console version is coming out soon mm-hmm. on Game Pass. Uh, if there's, let's say, a hurricane in a certain area, let's say Jamaica, the Caribbean, or let's say Florida, you could fly your plane. Because the cloud is getting all this information from actual weather from around the world, real time. And you could go and fly and just go and see how it is, like just experience that in real time, just using the power of the cloud on like in the game, fly similar. So like things like that, I would love to see, I would love to see that in the future, just real time, just major changes that that the only way we could see that is through the cloud, you know, um, mm-hmm. instead of just having like those quick little updates, they will have the updates through the cloud. And we even noticed that they made that. So I'm excited for the future. I think, I think that part of, of gaming from S cloud 
it's going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be very, very cool the, and exciting. The, uh, certainly, the real-time data that can be brought into gaming. I mean, Forza Horizon 5 is, forgive the pun, it's on the horizon as well, and we can look forward to seeing different types of weather elements there. Mm -hmm. uh the potential for reaching more people having people that are not necessarily playing the game proper but influencing the game uh, we've seen technologies experiment with that before there's a lot that could be happening there um my hope is that whatever it is miss swift is doing we find out more about it in the years to come there's the there are rumors of a an xbox streaming stick which which would make sense, I think, for for a lot of households. There's we also know they're bringing Game Pass to a number of different smart TVs in the future. Cloud gaming will need a figurehead. Will need a voice, kind of like Sarah Bond for for PC and now Xbox proper. Um, mm -hmm. They'll need a voice for people to turn to with questions about just what the cloud gaming division is doing. Uh, and right now, I don't even know exactly what those questions would even look like. But that's why why I find this to be so forward thinking. Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, they need to educate people, and then we could start asking these questions. You know, like I got to give you a, a one example that, and I realized when I went to the Dominican Republic, I got to see everybody on their phones watching videos on YouTube or Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And the and the way how they figure that out is because. Somebody got educated on how to use it, and that person was just telling their all their friends, okay, you go to this app, you watch these videos. So that's what they need to do with 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 the cloud, with S Cloud, all that. Once they start educating us on the stuff that they they could do in the future, we're gonna start asking these questions, like, okay, you know what I'm trying to say? So I see there's probably stuff that they haven't even mentioned that we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. That I it, it might be like one of those. They're taking it to the next level when it comes to that, when it comes to that, that type of experience, stuff that we have never seen before, mm -hmm. you know? So that's the part that I'm super excited about this, all this, you know? Certainly. So, and at the, at the same time is helping to change the industry when it comes to that, that, that type of new experience that we have never seen before. So that, that's the part I'm excited. Agreed. Absolutely no. agreed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agreed. Now we are coming off a, jam-packed news season right it actually got to calm down just a little bit last week which was nice to kind of have everybody collectively catch their breath but uh xbox made huge splashes at this year's uh e3 we had so many people writing with questions uh for you uh and mm. i'm sure a few of them had questions for me but really they were for you mr pena and they wanted right. to know so many things and i'd like to get into it uh our first question comes from Mr. Badbit, who hosts a PlayStation podcast called The Trophy Room. Uh, he was rather enamored with, with the Xbox showcase, rather impressed with it. He says, what has Xbox shown you in its E3 showcase that you are excited about and uh, that excited you about the brand? Uh, and with a PlayStation event rumored to be imminent, uh, what would get you excited for that showcase? Ooh, that's a great, great question. Um, I think... When it comes to PlayStation, uh, I think uh, they need to show games that hasn't been announced. Get us mm -hmm. excited. Show us a timeline of future games. It doesn't have to have a date or anything like that, but tell us what type of content we're going to get to see instead of showing us, you know, God of War, all these, you know, all these. Show us mm -hmm. new. I would like to see new IPs, mm -hmm. especially like Horizon. 
um, Horizon Zero Dawn when it came out years ago. That was a brand new IP. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima, new IP. And those are phenomenal games. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I would love to see. And also, show us next-gen only games. Because now, I think Ratchet & Clank is going to be the only next-gen game for PlayStation 5 mm-hmm. for a while. Because everything else is cross-gen. So it's God of War, uh, the New Horizon game, all that, even Gran Turismo, all that is going to be cross-gen. Where is the 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 PS5 games? You know, because I played Ratchet & Clank and that was like amazing. What As of right now, it's my favorite game of the year, as of right now. So really? that's the nice. thing that I'm lo- looking forward to from, from PlayStation, those type of content, you know. Now with Xbox, the thing that I like about about the presentation overall, I felt like it was the best presentation they ever done. Mm-hmm. It, I felt like they're more confident more than ever. It was nonstop games, 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 left and right. 20, 30 of 20, 27 out of 30 games, all day one on Game Pass. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I love that there are not only showing games that's coming out now, but games that's also coming out in the future, like the Outer Worlds, Redfall, Starfield. And the the part that I love the most, every game that they show, these are games for only Xbox Series X, S, and the cloud, and PC. No more having games cross-gen, because that's the thing that I love about Xbox now, mm-hmm. is that they're being very open and saying okay this is what we're planning to do it's not like hiding it's not like they're showing a game now and then the next day just a press release okay it's also cross-gen that part i don't like i like when they just straightforward hey this is how we're planning to do people might not be happy about it but at least the communication is there mm-hmm. um yeah that that's the thing i'm very excited about xbox they, they've been releasing all type of cool games that's not the same Everything is different. It's not shooter shooters or racing games. You know they're changing it up this time, this time mm-hmm. around. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm very, very, very curious to see to see and hear more about Halo Infinite. I'm excited about Starfield because I love Bethesda, love their games, and mm-hmm. uh, and I would like to hear more about Perfect Dark and games that they announced before. And Hellblade looks amazing too. Mm-hmm. The next one. Yeah, agreed. And uh, bad bit to answer your question on my end. uh, I was enamored with how they were able to reintroduce Halo Infinite. I thought that was a really masterful way to recover some of the damage that had been done in showcases prior. I know you and I were both very excited about Halo Infinite in its first reveal, but uh, the masses were not. And so to see them be able to reintroduce it successfully for me was very exciting. Uh, moreover, and to that same point, how they were able to integrate Bethesda comfortably into their presentation and never once did I feel like, okay, here we're hard stop. Now we're seeing Bethesda hard stop. Now it's Xbox game studios. It felt seamless. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that is why there is such a mass wave of positivity, uh, for Microsoft and Xbox right now in a way that didn't exist uh, through the the majority of the Xbox One generation, and I think that that's what I'm most pleased with as far as the brand. And um, for the PlayStation event bit, I want to see what I think a lot of people want to see, which is games for the future while honoring the past. I know we're having a uh, rumors of standalone uh, Ghost of Tsushima games. I think that's cool, very neat. Mm-hmm. I like the Miles Morales sized stuff. I I and I'll 
pause for just a minute on the general stuff, but Danny, I felt like Miles Morales was a very special, a very special game mm-hmm. uh, for representation, for character building, and it felt just right for any on a gaming side for any gamer who maybe spider-man ps4 was just a little too long for or maybe they couldn't get into it was a Mm -hmm. really nice experiment of getting a an expand alone style game for at a 12 hour mark i want to see more of that yeah oh great agreed and and i grew up in that that you know new york city my mom lives in east harlem where the game takes place Mm -hmm. uh so you know i will walk around the area of there hard to see if like the building is there and everything the central park is around there too and yeah it felt good like i i mentioned this on a show last year that i completed it and i i broke down i cried because uh you know it, it felt good seeing my my hometown there um and also like you said representation you know mm-hmm. my my peoples especially uh dominican puerto rican latinos you know afro latino Mm -hmm. uh yeah it was awesome seeing that really really awesome and and plus i think it helps people to learn more about different coaches when they play games like that you know um and it will get them curious especially now with uh, the movie that came out in the heights that it's another area where i I actually grew up Uh, i lived in that area so seeing that with my with my partner, oh man, I was break I was breaking down like, oh my god, I can't believe this man! Like, because usually when a a movie studio or even gaming in general, they'll show that area mm-hmm. is all about crime, negative, you know that. No, show us the positive. You know, there was a lot of positive things that they talked about in Mouse Morales. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. So Isaniac did a a really really great job on that man, and I can't wait for the next game. Yeah. Agree. Mm-hmm. Agree. It's uh it's the right way. It's the right way to do it. I, I guess is the most simple uh method there. Yeah. Uh let's see. Uh Mr. Ainsley Bowden from Season Gaming, he asks, uh he would or rather he says that he would love to hear from Danny his thoughts on the current state of gaming for media uh and coverage and the reality of there being countless podcasts and show nowadays. So that's a big mm-hmm. one, Danny. If you could just ta- tackle that one easy, go right, go right ahead. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's good. I love seeing new content creators every day. I, I love seeing that. You know, uh, when I started, there was not that many of them, not many podcasts. Uh, but now there's podcasts everywhere. But the good thing is, there's content everywhere, and er, you know, the majority of people are going to have their own way on how to report it, and you're going to find that show that you love the most. You know, so I, I think it's a good thing really really good thing now the the challenging part is if someone that is a content creator want to stand out but there's so many shows out there my advice is just be you just be consistent and just create content and just have fun people are going to relate to that to the type of stuff that 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 you you know release to the world and uh, they will become a fan of yours or will become a, a listener so just keep doing your thing and, and don't worry so much about what the next person is doing. What it matters is that you're having fun and maybe you could be inspired by the next person instead of copying what they're doing. And I think that's the the mistake that a lot of people do is mm-hmm. they're like, okay, so-and-so is doing an amazing job and they're getting so many hits. Let me try to do exactly what they're doing. But guess what? You're not getting that results the same results as them you know so and that's when a lot of people just give up and tap out they can't do it anymore you know so 
So I yeah, just be people, you. Yeah, I see a lot of people trying to be the next kind of funny or the next gamer tag radio, the next DLC, and that's it's not it's not realistic. It's just not no, realistic at at all at all. Look, I love I'm cool with a lot of content creators. Cool, with, you know, kind of funny DLC. What's good games? But everybody has their own flavor, you know, like their own style on how to create, how they, they're creating content. You know, they have their team. You know, we have our own way, and uh, I'm happy with the audience that we have, and, and I'm glad that every day I get new emails and, and messages of people like, "Hey, I just discovered you recently." You know, I love it, and they'll go back and listen to the archives. You know, so, so yeah, it's good. Really, really it, cool. It's always cool to me because I learned about Gamer Tag Radio, which is a, a obviously a very big show from a, a, a smaller outlet and our, our mutual friends, the Mega Dads. Um, shout out to John. Adam, you're weird. Uh, <laughs> Adam and I go back and forth. He doesn't like Rogue One, Danny. He doesn't think Rogue One's a good movie and it makes me makes me worried. But they introduced <laughs> me to you guys. You know? Oh, How really? Cool that? That's cool. Yeah. That's that's really, really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mr. Boomstick XL from the Xbox Factor podcast, which he hosts, I believe. He wants to know your thoughts on the 180 Microsoft has done since the 2013 disaster. And before you answer, I want to take this one first. Uh, mm-hmm. Boom. I, I don't think it's been. It, it is a 180, but it, it wasn't a quick one. It was over the course of years and years of philosophy changes, hardware revisions, uh, a team mentality, services, and uh, it's been a step-by-step, stage-by-stage process. And if you look at each E3 since that 2013 showcase that, that admittedly didn't go their way at all, you're seeing a concerted effort to improve upon one or two aspects. So that's how I tend to look at, at that 180. Uh, Danny, I would imagine you were there. And mm-hmm. with your years of experience, you've got uh, a more in-depth take. What you got for me? I think the most important one that you forgot to mention is community feedback. A lot of a, a lot of feedback from from old fans, from new fans, and having a new leader in charge now helped everything, you know. So now they have you know Phil Spencer, Simon Bond, you know Aaron Greenberg now is in a different team, um, and it's been good. I I love the communication. They've been really really open. You know, just recently a couple months ago, they made some changes with Xbox Live Gold. Mm-hmm. That it was like a surprise. We were vocal on Twitter about it, you know, just saying the truth uh, about the change. And the team made the change within hours. Mm-hmm. Hours they made the change. So I'm glad that they're open. I'm glad that they're they're still focusing on making the product better. And the most important thing is we, as a as just fans of just gaming in general. We have to be vocal and just say things that we don't like the right way, not targeting people or mm-hmm. sending death threats or anything like that. But just say what is it, why you don't like it, and I bet you they will make that change because throughout the years when we go to E3 or any event and we will get to see or interview people there, you know, before we record, we we talk and we'll hang out, and they'll mention they'll mention to me or my or my crew that they love the challenge because they want to release the best product for the, for the world, you know, uh, to the, to the, like the community and all that stuff, you know? So, but, uh, if we don't say anything and everything is good, things are not changing. It's going to be the same thing over and over again, you know? So, so yeah, just be vocal. And I'm glad that they're making all these changes. 
Do you think that there is a risk that as mm-hmm. Microsoft kind of re retain or, or gets back to uh, its former glory and exceeds it and is extremely successful, they will eventually forget to listen to the community yet again? It depends. It, it all depends on leadership. Mm-hmm. That, that's how I see it. Because in 2013 and actually the end of the Xbox 360 was Don Matrick that took over. And he's very focused on like mainstream and it's his way and that's it. And I didn't like it. You know, there was even a time where Xbox didn't want to talk to the community because of him. He, Unless you're CNN or major media outlet, that's the only way that they will do interviews or they will invite you to their booth. And I was very disappointed because when I met Xbox, it was all about the community. It was all about not only the mainstream media, but also the 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 smaller content creators that love the product and all that stuff. So you need that balance because honestly, the community was the ones that actually went to the store at midnight on day one and bought the and buy the product and buy mm-hmm. all these games. Major media, they'll promote it to a crowd where they might buy on day one or they buy like two, three years later. You know what I'm trying to say? So we're like mm-hmm. more hardcore, the hardcore audience, you know? So right. they need to they need to focus on that and continue because, look, it's been working for them right now throughout the past few years now. It's, it's been phenomenal for Xbox. The numbers are climbing. More people signing up to Xbox Game Pass, S-Cloud, more people buying the console, you know? So I think that... If it's working, just keep continuing to, to to do that. And now, if there's the wrong person in charge of Xbox or any other company, that's when things are gonna like go downhill if they're not doing the things the right way. Good point. A good point. Well made point at that. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier about leadership, and then also some of the names you mentioned, uh, having people like Sarah Bond uh, up on stage. I noticed that the past E3, we saw Phil Spencer later in the show, and not throughout the show but it never felt awkward because they're bringing in these new voices that can stand on their own offer content be likable uh Mm -hmm. and be there it's no longer just one voice Uh, i think that says a lot about what they're trying to do uh, for their future so here's hoping that continues you know yeah yeah i i totally agree and i love that when they started the show of course they were going to have todd howard to talk about like starfield right Mm -hmm. but the actual just Xbox as a whole, I was glad that they had Sarah Bond to open it up, the the game uh, game showcase. I think that's phenomenal, and that's that's a sign of you're going to see more of her in the future, a lot more. Mm-hmm. Previously, it was all about Phil Spencer, but I'm glad that they're changing things up and not only having Phil, but also her, Aaron, and other people that are the higher ups of Xbox, like and just continue doing that. I think that's phenomenal. Agreed. Really, really cool. Fully agree. Fully agree there. Uh, Let's see. The next question comes from my good friend, Mr. Todd Oxtra. Uh, He says, the meme that Xbox doesn't have any games, I think uh, specifically Xbox uh, doesn't have actually the many first party top tier games releasing regularly, while true is changing. With 23 studios, what cadence should they realistically target for releases? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think now... There's no excuse now people saying that they don't have no games. Let's be right. real. It's 23 studios. There's a lot of games that's been announced now for the past year plus, mm-hmm. right? So the confidence is there. Plus having Bethesda now part of Xbox, that's even more now 
You know, mm-hmm. uh, all those games that's coming out from Bethesda and also Xbox, all of them are going to be exclusive. Uh, I'm excited about that part. And also, even this year alone, for six months, we're going to get a big game on also on Game Pass every month for six months. It's true. For the rest of 2021. That's huge. Yeah. The only company that I remember that has done something like that for a whole year was Nintendo uh, for the Nintendo Switch. Every month there was a new game, exclusive game for a Nintendo Switch. So I'm glad I'm glad that that Xbox is doing that. That's Agreed. when you know they're not messing around. And this is just think about it. This is early. This is early. Imagine 2022, 2023, and beyond when you get get all these games that have already been announced, and we're gonna get it almost every month. Not only AAA games. But double A games, indie games, you know, smaller games like games that just said like experimental, like the like this one from Obsidian, Obsidian uh, mm-hmm. Grounded. That was a, just an experiment. Yeah. Small small group of people at Obsidian are working on it, and Xbox was like, hey, you know what? This game will work for Game Pass. Let's go for it. You know, the release as an early early access type thing, and then throughout throughout the year plus. They've been adding more content. They just announced new content coming in the game. So that's the part that people are not really thinking about. They're, they're thinking more about the AAA games. This mm-hmm. is more than that. Psychonauts, you know, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I this appreciate generation. the diversity that they have. That cadence, I think, you know, one big one a quarter is realistic. 2022 and beyond well 2020 late 2022 and beyond you might get a big triple a one but uh mm-hmm. i like a lot of those i want to say double a but that doesn't i don't mean to imply that they're underproduced but grounded great example right mm-hmm. like that's a great example a successful game hit a million players in early access like week one adam Branicki's teams like 12 people strong uh, that's a great example for what i think the future of game pass is and i think also game pass will help uh, titles that may not have been able to have a, a, a lifespan uh, mm-hmm. past critical success. I'm thinking Dishonored 3, Evil Within 3, Wolfenstein 3, some of those games that have an audience, people are excited for it, but maybe it didn't do critic uh, commercially as well as they would have liked. Game Pass affords that uh, those that, that team a second chance. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. overreading into it. What do you think? I mean, no, I, 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 I totally agree with you. Totally agree. And not only that, but now when the studio is working on the game, they don't have to worry so much of like, okay, we got to sell this. How, what are we going to do to sell this a lot out there? Mm-hmm. Now they have the freedom of just just create games because they're not risking it. Now the games are going to be available on Game Pass. So people are going to try it out automatically. You know what I'm saying? So that's the part that a lot of us are not even thinking. They're thinking of like the sales, like the the old way of the, of the industry. Things are changing. This is the way that is going to help gaming become even better because now the studio is going to have that freedom to just create unique games. Usually we'll see that from the indie developers. And if it's become successful, that's when a big publisher or a big studio will copy from an indie studio and add it to their, to their games. Because now they're like, okay, now we'll see it selling. What now what we're gonna see in the future is games that just become big because now people are testing it out, downloading it through Game Pass, and now the word is going around. Now people are buying it on Steam, on other other places too, you know. So mm-hmm. I, that that's exciting. 
Danny Pena, you have been so generous with your time today. I have an I've had an absolute blast picking your brain, talking history of gaming. Uh, would you please take a moment and plug any of your latest projects that you'd like to uh, reaffirm for people or point people towards? Uh, thanks for being here, man. This has been awesome. No, well, thank thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm glad that we finally made this happen. Uh, if anybody would like to stay in touch, you know, follow me, Godfrey G O D F R E on Twitter. You can also search for Gamer Tag Radio on on any podcast app available. Just search Gamer Tag Radio. Make sure to follow us, subscribe, and uh, post a review if you can. And yeah, let let us know how how was the the podcast. I think it was actually a lot of fun recording this, man. It was a lot a lot of fun. Absolutely, buddy. I appreciate your time, and uh, and I can't wait to see more of what goes on in, in the future. And we'll have to have you back for sure, man. Yeah, for sure. Just let me know. Let's do it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Danny Pena from Gamertag Radio. So proud to have had him on the show for sure. And I'll be sending you guys next to an interview with Piotr Bomak of XOR Studios to discuss their upcoming title, The Rift Breaker, which I played recently in the Summer Game Demo Fest thing that Xbox had where they had 40 demos up uh, and really enjoyed my time with it. A really complex mix of twin stick shooter meets uh, RPG elements with real-time strategy. A really comfortable, interesting, fascinating mix uh, to all three of those genres as it were and I do ask Piotr just about that. If you are enjoying the show so far, I would love it and be so appreciative if you would take the time to click like if you are on youtube.com slash Xbox Expansion Pass, or if you're on iTunes, drop a review. If you don't have any ability to do those things, it would mean the world if you would help share this show out and help it grow and reach more people. I take that as a personal compliment and honor when people are willing to do that, and so I thank you all for taking the time to listen to this show thus far. I'm going to send you guys to the interview now. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. And, of course, on all your podcast services, you've already got it, the Xbox Expansion Pass. Enjoy. All right, I'm very fortunate now to welcome Piotr Bomak, Community Manager for XOR Studios, to talk to us about the Rift Breaker coming to consoles and PC later this year. Piotr, thank you for joining me. Uh, hello, and thanks for having me. I'm really I... glad to be here. Well, I'm ecstatic that you are here. Really and truly, I know we were talking before uh, we hit record. I am thrilled to talk about Rift Breaker. I have uh, played the demo that was included in, in the summer game demo uh, set from ID at Xbox and, and over the summer. So I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you about it. Let's get to it, though. Uh, Rift Breaker. It's a lot to try and describe. What is it? Well, we found that it's easiest to describe what Rift Breaker really is by using, uh, you know, titles of other things that inspired us. So in, in essence, the Rift Breaker is uh, a game that combines elements of Factorio uh, when it comes to base management, base building economy. Uh, it combines uh, it with Diablo because there is lots of hacking and slashing hordes of monsters and gathering some sweet loot, as well as they are billions um, when it comes to, you know, defending your base against um, hordes of alien creatures that come time and again to destroy you, and they come en masse. Uh, they heavily outnumber you, and you have to deal with them alone, which is uh, which is a tall order at times, but it's really exciting at the same time. So we try to combine the elements of... Um, 
of all these games from all these different genres uh, with um, in, in a sci-fi uh, setting, which kind of resembles Starship Troopers at times, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a good or bad thing, which might be a good or bad thing, depending on your opinion, but we, we loved it. Uh, we loved it. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy that it evokes such feelings. It, it does. I mean, I'm, when you look at the art style, I'm seeing mech suits, vicious monsters, and a lot of fire. So I can see the influences of Diablo, Diablo and They Are Billions right there uh, at the gate. And you had me at mech suit when I saw that. I was, I was just in. Uh, there's a lot of elements of gameplay that go into a game like Rift Breaker. I mean, you are uh, playing t- a twin stick shooter. In some cases, you're doing uh, action RPG elements at various points, base building. It's a lot. There's a lot of mechanics there. Even in the prologue uh, for the summer game demo, I was I was not overwhelmed, but there was a lot in play there. How do you guys go about onboarding players into that? Uh, we try to be um, as... Mm, I'm looking for the right word. Um, we try to pace, uh, pace it as well as we can because when you throw everything at the player at the same time, you know, tell them to build a base because, uh, you know, there is an attack incoming and go and hack and slash 100 creatures right now because uh, that's what the quest uh, requires. Um, you are going to lose interest because that's too much. So mm-hmm. the right, the key here is to get the pacing right. So what we tried to do with our prologue and uh, in in our demo version, our the versions that we showed off at trade shows when they were still a thing. Uh, hopefully they will come back uh, soon because we do love uh, going to those. Uh, is um, showing off all these elements one by one. Um, so at the beginning, you start with just your mecha suit and your task is just to get some resources, then build up some basic buildings. And then only after you are confident that you can build something that you know how to gather resources, only then we uh, introduce the fighting mechanics. And we introduce the basic, the basics of all these different genres very early on but they expand over time, but not all at the same time. You know, um, you, get, um, you get access to more advanced buildings uh, through research. And in order to do research, you have to, um, you have to scout the planet a little bit. So it's always like you explore a different, um, a different element of a different genre to unlock access to the next episode, which is also going to be a different genre. So it's it's all about pacing in general. It's all about pacing. Gotcha, gotcha. Now that question came from Todd Oxtra. I want to make sure I give him an appropriate shout out there. Uh, I One of the things that was really interesting to me is that as you are pacing people up through the prologue, and then as I watch like developer streams, um, lots of information on screen there for for uh, different levels of economies, enemies, what you're doing with with ammo types and resources. Um, how did the team settle on the appropriate way to display that in the HUD? In general, doing the the HUD or the GUI in, in the GUI is a very complex process, and it took us lots of attempts and it's um it's very iterative and 
iterative iterative we do a lot of iterations <laughs> sorry english, english is english is obviously not my first language so i might make some mistakes here and there uh the first version of the of the gui um of the of the hud of the of the display of the ammo the economy it was a lot less um a lot less legible and uh, mm -hmm. we tried to make it you know look nice and have transparency here and there and have things uh with beautifully illustrated and and you know we try to have icons for each and every little thing and we realized at some point that um hiding things and um making them obscured by all of these neat little animations and uh, neat little uh effects it doesn't help players so uh, we just decided to give you everything up front. Mm -hmm. And even though it takes up lots of real estate on the screen, at times a bit too much, we are trying to limit ourselves, especially now when it comes to um, working on the campaign mode. Uh, mm -hmm. We display object your current objectives all the time uh, in the top left corner of the screen. We are trying to um, have them as short as possible so that we so that you can look at the game not the hud it's not the hud all the time mm -hmm. but um with lots of elements that you have to take care of you know your base your mecha suit your ammo your economy uh we found that it's really necessary for the player to have very quick access uh to all that information at just a glance mm -hmm. uh so hiding some of these things was just um maybe I wouldn't say not an option, but um, it wasn't the optimal choice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, the viewpoint, because uh, you mentioned like being able to actually see the game, you can see a lot. I mean, you can see a whole lot. And that has a lot to do with, I think, the viewpoint, uh, traditional twin stick, like kind of top down elements there. Um, but the game is beautiful. I mean, that art style is, is gorgeous. I'm seeing like really vibrant elements uh, of the world, like plants and, and animals. Uh, ambient animals that are like birds that are just kind of flying around to some of those vicious monsters that tend to attack in hordes uh, right next to those very futuristic elements of, of building and crafting that you guys have in, involved there. Um, that had to be uh, some work to get in there and settle into that specific art style. Uh, naturally, our art team is um, four people and we also have uh, the designers, the design team, uh, working alongside them. And uh, when it comes to the design of the mecha suit and the buildings, the weapons, um, it's mostly just imagination and uh, influences from other games that we played and other works of art in the sci-fi setting. Uh, obviously, when people look at the base, they say, oh, it looks like StarCraft. Yeah, obviously, we all played StarCraft and it's deeply ingrained in our in our brains and you won't ever escape from um doing a sci-fi game and not being compared to starcraft but it's a good mm -hmm. comparison you know it's a it's a it's really nice to be compared to something like that mm -hmm. but when it comes to uh the nature and everything you describe those vibrant colors and all these um environments all the plants and creatures um what's really funny is that they look very alien and they are certainly bizarre at times and they make you feel like you are in an alien world but most of the reference materials and most of the 
inspiration for those came from species that are, you know, that live on Earth. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you how incredible our nature here on Earth is and how much you can uh, learn and how much inspiration you can get from those. Um, for example, most of the plants that you can see in the game um, have a couple of versions. They range from very small to very large uh, sp- specimens. Mm-hmm. And we ha- we also have a vegetation life cycle um, system in the game. So if you cut a tree down, it will regrow over time and it will uh, go through all the stages from like very small sapling to a to a um, a large uh, tree. And what? we yeah, that is so cool. I had no idea you built an entire yeah. life cycle into that. That's so cool. Yes, yes. Uh, it's uh, especially important if you try to use plant biomass as your source of energy because that requires you to, um, you know, uh, harvest some of the plant biomass in the jungles and forests and fields of Galatea 37, the planet that the Rift Breaker take pl- takes uh, place on. And when you cut them down, uh, if you wait a couple of days, uh, they will just regrow, uh, regrow back and uh, you will be able to use them again so yeah um that whole cycle is also uh based on reference material from like real earth species real life earth species we took uh, a look how mushrooms develop from very little uh from very little specimens to the big ones uh we um we studied how cacti grow how uh, trees grow, what what grass looks like when it's young, and what it, what it's like when it's um, mature, fully mature. So it's all Earth. It's all Earth, but mixed in in an alien way. <laughs> That's that is so cool, so cool. I had no idea that was in there, and I can remember my my plant biomass uh, facility. It, it stopped working at one point. I was like, huh, I wonder why. And then it started working again later, and I feel like that probably has something to. Do yeah, you with just it. Uh, probably you just went lawn mowing uh, and uh, gathered some material for it. That's so interesting. Very cool. Very cool. I'm glad you well, like it. I, I do. Now tell me this: What modes are you guys aiming to have at launch? Uh, because I've heard uh, things about horde mode, but it's not called horde mode, and um, there's a lot of hack and slash gameplay. There's a resource thing. Like, what modes are you guys going for at launch? So at launch, we are going to have two uh, basic game modes. The first one is going to be the story campaign, uh, which is going to take you through Ashley, our protag- uh, Ashley's, our protagonist's mission on Galatea 37. She lands um, on Galatea 37 after traveling through the rift. It's a one-way portal from Earth uh, to that planet. And her job is to establish a two-way portal that's going to allow humans uh, to come to Galatea 37 and establish a colony. But in order to do that, Ashley has to set up a base and build the rift itself, which requires lots of uh, rare minerals and materials that she will find around all the different biomes. So during the campaign, you are going to have your main base, then scan the planet looking for uh, those rare resources like palladium, titanium, uranium, 
and you are going to find them in four different biomes. So we have the jungle biome, um, the sort of acidic plains biome, uh, mm -hmm. the volcanic wasteland, and also a radioactive desert. So you are going to venture out into those um, those places, uh, carry out some uh, some research, then set up um, outposts that are going to gather all those uh, rare material rare materials for you, and uh, of course. In the meantime, you will have to defend your own base, um, defend those outposts, because um, during the campaign, you can have several um, several bases working together. It's sort of like the regions in City Skylines or or SimCity. You have mm -hmm. your main hub, your main HQ, but. Mm -hmm. um, at any point, uh, you can travel to a base that you have set up elsewhere, and your economy still works. All the machines that you left are still digging and excavating uh, resources from the ground. So you can expand your economy to a really planetary scale, and eventually you open up the portal back home. And all of this is going to take around, uh, well, it depends on the player, but for um for a regular player i would i would say that it's about 40 hours of gameplay um not rushing things researching everything you want everything you can and uh experimenting so it's about 40 hours of exploration survival and strategy and so that's, that's the a campaign lot of game. game it that's is a, a lot, lot of game, of game. cool <laughs> all right yes and uh, the second mode is a bit quicker it's called the survival mode. And in survival mode, um, you take part in a randomly generated 30 to, to uh, 60 to 90 minute mission uh, in which you have to set up your base and survive against waves of enemies that grow larger and tougher as the time progresses. So I forgot to mention that... Um, during the campaign, everything is randomized as well. You will never see the same map twice. Uh, we, the maps are generated from random tiles, and uh, you never find resources in the same spots. You never find uh, the same creatures. You never know where you are going to get attacked. So there is an element that, of randomness that introduces lots of replayability into, into all of this. And mm -hmm. survival is... Um, a way to pack the whole campaign in into a 60 or 90 minute session. So those are the two modes that are going to be available at launch. That's so cool. That's a, that's a, a lot of game, as I said, uh, but I also I, I like the approachability of that survival mode as well. Um, but definitely, if you're sitting down to play Rift Breaker, you're not getting quick sessions. This is meant to uh, be a good, good, healthy, hearty experience every time you sit down to play the game. But we are not going to make it hard for you if you don't ha don't have time to do it all in one sitting. You can mm -hmm. save the game at any point and okay. just come back where you left it. So if you have just 10 minutes, yeah, sure, go ahead. Destroy a wave or two, build up a couple of buildings, then come back a day or two later. We're not going to stop you from doing that. Brilliant. That is so encouraging to hear. Awesome. Awesome. 
Well, this next question comes from listener Famous Seamus. He says, uh, my question is, was it difficult to combine base building with the hack and slash action RPG type? Uh, Were there times where you had too much of one gameplay style versus another? Uh, Yes. Um, Yes, it was very difficult. Um, that's That's a very good question, actually. It was very difficult to balance these two, and we are still not there entirely. Um, because when you have your mecha suit, you obviously want to make your player feel powerful and that your weapons are doing something against uh, the hordes of creatures that you encounter. And we want to give you the feeling that you can really stand your ground. But on uh, on the other hand, when we uh, give you too much power, then your base is underpowered and all your defensive towers, all your walls the meticulous systems that you set up, they are basically um, not able to defend themselves because they are too weak. But then again, if we make them too strong, um, then there is no point ever leaving your base because uh, the waves will never threaten your base enough um, to to force you to fight in the open field. Mm-hmm. So balancing is something that is very tough. Luckily, we have a huge community on our Discord uh, that helps us test the beta. And uh, well, now it's the beta, but they helped us for over a year with the alpha version of the game. And they give us little um, bits and pieces of ideas what they would do. Uh, we um, cross-check them with the things that we feel should be changed. And then we arrive to a middle ground, which... Um, very often works. Um, However, we are still not at the final uh, point. We are still not happy where the balance is. At the moment, the base is a little weak and the player is a little strong, a a little weaker than we want and a little stronger than we want. want. So um, we are still going to introduce changes to that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, now what if I want to play with one of my friends? Well, if you want to play with one of your friends, then you will have to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. We initially planned the Riftbreaker to be a single-player-only game, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we got so many requests for co-op and comment- comments saying, this game screams co-op. I have to play <laughs> it with my friends. So we decided, yeah, I, I, I guess we can think about this. And then when we gave them this little bit, then they said, oh, so what's going to be in co-op? When are you going to deliver co-op? Is it going to be available at launch? So uh, the official version is right after we finish uh, working on the single player version of the game, when we finish working on the uh, story campaign, when we release the game as 1.0, and, of course, fix uh, all the inevitable problems that will arise after that, mm-hmm. then we will start working on the co-op version. Um, we do not have any details about it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. We do not have any specifics because, well, very simply, we haven't designed any of it. There is only 14 of us in the studio, uh, and we have to focus on doing one thing if we want to do it well. So that's why... When it comes to co-op, unfortunately, you have to wait a little more. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I was amused as I watched live streams over the last few weeks. Uh, co-op after release. Just yes. subtly there reminding players. But I appreciate that. Those That's really uh, important for expectations. I appreciate uh, you reading it because I get so many questions during the streams that ask co-op when that I am, I am starting to wonder whether that, whether that um, sign makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. Now, you you guys, XOR Studios, a 14-person studio, I believe, based out of Poland. Uh, but I have read, and I'd like you to confirm or, or, or tell me if I'm mis- uh, misinformed, you guys have created your own engine for the game? Is that true? Yes, that is true. Uh, it's not been created specifically for this game, but uh, it's uh, been a result of what happened at the very beginning of the studio. So... Uh, XOR started as a modding group mm-hmm. a very in, in early 2000s. Um, officially, our history as a registered company begins in 2007, but XOR existed a long time before that, and they created mods for various games like Unreal, Half-Life, and mm-hmm. uh, their first official release was uh, Die in Pain, Rest in Peace, or Dip Rip. Uh, that's one of the first of the five mods that were available on Steam. And it's a total conversion of Half-Life 2 um, into a, a game full of vehicular combat in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, so the guys decided that they want to continue doing mods, but they needed to have some money in order to secure their survival. So they decided to make a commercial project. Hmm. And while doing so, uh, they obviously needed an engine. And at that point in time, uh, there were no good and free engines for what they wanted to do. Unreal was still uh, paid, and, and the license cost was far too much for a starting for a startup company. Uh, Unity, I think, did not exist at that point or was not good enough yet. So the guys just decided that they are going to make their own tech, and Zombie Driver was born on the engine that would later be called the Schmetterling engine. And uh, it worked very well. Zombie Driver is an insanely fun arcade game. It is (laughs) arcadey madness. So any listener that's not checked it out, it's it's constantly in Deals with Gold. uh, And it's a a hilariously fun arcade game. I just want to drop that in for the listeners. Pardon me. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, So yeah, uh, Zombie Driver was born from that. And uh, it was a huge success for that time. It was one of the first indie games available on Xbox Live Arcade uh, because it was in times of Xbox 360. It was one of the first indie games available on Steam. And that gave uh, XOR the resources that they needed to continue. And they decided that if it worked so well last time, well, let's continue. They added new tech to the engine and uh, continued developing it. Mm, and eventually, X-Morph Defense was released a couple of years later. And at that point, the engine was so advanced and we knew it so well that we decided, yeah, it's let, we are just going to roll with it. We are not going to change our ways. We're, we don't want to learn any, uh, we don't want to force uh, ourselves to learn um, the workflow of any other engine. Let's just continue. So we um, 
added even more new features to the engine. Uh, this time it's Schmetterlink 2.0. Uh, so what's new in this version of the engine is uh, new um, rendering pipeline. It's, we are fully uh, physics-based when it comes to rendering. Um, we have added lots of very fresh tech like uh, ray tracing support or um, lately the AMD uh, Fidelity FX Super Resolution. So we keep expanding the tool set that, that is available to us. And we are very comfortable working with, with this. The best thing is that if something doesn't work in your engine, you don't have to scour through tomes of documentation and you don't have to ask on the forum because the guy who's responsible for that is just two desks away and you can just walk up to them and just ask, hey, what's wrong? Why is this not working? And you are always going to get your answer. Gotcha, gotcha. That's so cool. That's just—it's neat to see the origin there. That a, that a, and that a small studio has, has been around for so long, but also have your own tech to kind of play around with in so many ways. That's that's really neat. Um, well, I understand Riftbreaker is going to be launching into Game Pass day and date. How did you guys land on that decision, and what advantages uh, will come from that decision? Uh, well, it's just an opportunity that we uh, that we got at at one point, thanks to I think uh, being very active uh, on all media because we have a very open development cycle, uh, maybe not development cycle, but development process. Uh, mm -hmm. We constantly inform our community what's going on with the game. We are very transparent what's working, what isn't. I stream uh, twice a week, uh, showing off what the game actually looks like. And I guess that attracted uh, the uh, people who were responsible for that, uh, for that for that thing, and attracted uh, also, I guess, uh, people responsible for uh, Game Pass. And we talked with them, and uh, we did. Luckily, we reached the conclusion that we could land in Game Pass, and you know, it's always a great thing because. With Game Pass, um, there are lots of games there. All of them are available to subscribers for free. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of those people would have never checked uh, out the Rift Breaker because we are not a known, a well-known studio. It's a new IP. But maybe just because it's available for them, to them for free, maybe they will check it out. And that's all we care about, really. We, we want the game to reach as many players as possible. We want as many players to enjoy it because we are in this for the players. We are gamers ourselves and we want to do what's best for, for the players. So if uh, we can enable them to get the Rift Breaker just a little easier, whether it's through, uh, whether it's through Game Pass or whether it's... Uh, throwing the build both on Steam and on GOG.com. Um, it's something that we are going to do. Accessibility is key. Well, you you mentioned it briefly in that closing statement there. Uh, of course, Riftbreaker not just coming to Xbox, uh, also coming to other platforms. And many of our listeners are not Xbox specific. You mentioned Steam, GOG. What other platforms are you guys uh, looking to release your final build on? I know that it's available in some places for early access as well. Um, and then I, I'm curious if you're able to comment uh, on pricing. How do you guys go about deciding that as well? 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so the game was initially planned to be released on PC on as many storefronts as we can. <laughs> um, because, as like I said, accessibility. Some people have preferences and are um, very adamant uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to sticking <laughs> to their uh, to their preferred shop, to their preferred storefront. So yeah, we were initially planning to release this on PC and then port it to consoles later. But obviously, um, when the Game Pass uh, um, situation arose, uh, it was um, very. It was clear that we had to uh, start working on console ports as well. Um, so luckily, when it comes to development, the Xbox Series consoles are super easy to develop for. They are very powerful, and there is not that much work needed to just run the game on on the console. Obviously, there is development to um, there is a lot. There are, there are a lot of, lots of things that you have to develop. There are lots of things that you need to comply with, um, but it's not as difficult. You don't have to downsize your game that much. So yeah, um, back to the back to the question. The uh, the Rift Breaker will release on PC, and it will be available on Steam on GOG or GOG.com, on mm-hmm. Epic as well, um, and on Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, as well as PlayStation 5. And those are all coming this autumn. Uh, when it comes to price point, it's uh, $29.99 US. Um, $29.99 US. And uh, why we landed on this price point, well, you know, we are still an indie game. It's it's not a triple A title. It's not going to cost sixty bucks, so uh, we think that's that's a fair price for the amount of content that we can deliver to you, and for our work. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I leave you uh, with this, Piotr. The Clint Coombs, a listener, wrote in. He says, "I just played the demo of this. So hyped for this game." twin stick and strategy what a great hybrid please just tell them that uh thank you for putting this together uh and that i can't wait for the final product and so i wanted to close with that because clint i and many others are uh, very excited for the rift breaker to launch when it's ready thank you very much um yeah if you're excited and want to know more uh then i'm going to do a little self-plug we have a discord we are very active on that discord uh, it, it's available at discord.gg slash Studios. Uh, you can talk basically t- with all the developers in our team uh, every day of the week. And we have a very vibrant community that's also very, very much into modding. So if you would like to try out everything that the Rift Breaker has to offer and more, you can check out the community mods that... Uh, our member, our Discord members have prepared, because what's funny, we uh, we released the Rivebreaker prologue uh, more than ten months ago, and it was only a very short snippet of the camp of the campaign. Not even the campaign, because it's a mission that takes place before the campaign, and it's like half an hour long, and it's meant to be just you know, just a, a demonstration of what the game has to offer. And then people started tinkering with files and eventually unlocked the entire survival mode and found a way to generate their own randomized maps. And we are super happy with that because, you know, we started as as modders ourselves and we plan on making lots of modding tools available to 
to the community, including our our own map editor and mission editor. So you will be able to generate basically anything that you can dream of. Uh, so if you'd like to uh, to see more while you wait for the full version to release, then discord.gg slash Studios is the place where, where you can check it out. And how about on socials? Any socials you'd like to plug beyond Discord? Um, mostly uh, we are active on Discord and on Steam. We also have profile pages on Facebook and Twitter. It's, it's uh, a very simple facebook.com slash XOR Studios and twitter.com slash XOR Studios. And if you need any help, if you want to ask us a quick question, if you want, uh, if you need some support or uh, anything else, then just send us a message and we'll be sure to answer you back. Piotr Bomak, Community Manager, XOR Studios, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you.